I'm incredibly grateful to be here uh, with you all. This is an important time for us to consider incredibly important issues. I'm grateful for uh, Pastor Jared, who did a fantastic job unpacking this religion, this new religion that we are encountering in our days. For the sake of time, like he did, I will leap directly into what it is I want to share with you. It's, again, an honor to be here not only with, with the, the leaders of this event, but also with you. Because each of you have made a decision to be resolved in our day. You're going to be resolved about things that matter most. Allow me, if you will, to, to set the table, the groundwork, so to speak, of what we're going to cover. The, the title of my talk is A Wide Door, Resolve in a Day of Opportunity. I remember specifically when Jared called me and told me that was the direction for this conversation and my thought was, where in the world do you want me to go with that? There's a lot of different directions that we could go. But as I considered the title, I knew that in order to get there, I would need to take you on a journey of where we've been. To be resolved means that we are determined to do something. Before, the, before we determine the something that we are about to do, it's important to examine why we must do something to begin with. So I, set the t I wanna set the table if you'll allow me. I wanna explain the, the need that we have in our day. As Jared did such a fantastic job of setting up this new religion, I wanna go historically and take a step back for a moment and look at what we need to accomplish. Our text will be 2 Timothy chapter one, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. But before we, we jump into the text exegetically and expositionally, I want to I set up three things. First, again, we're going to take a historic journey to what brought us to this point. Next, I'll unpack the text as we look at the text. I want to I look at and examine Paul's instruction to Timothy to see if there's any instruction that would be beneficial to you and to me as we understand what's happening in this critical hour. My goal is to make those, those connections apparent so that we can all benefit from the scripture. Finally, we'll apply those instructions to the context that we're currently in and examine the, the wide door, resolve in a day of opportunity. Let's first begin by reading the text. Second Timothy chapter four, verses one through five read this way. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. May God bless the reading of his word. Now when I reflected upon the two years since we last convened in June of 2019, I actually remember being with Founders Ministries for the very first time. I was at their pre-conference convention, 
And while admiring the ministry from afar, this was the first time that I actually had the opportunity to meet Dr. Tom Askell in person. I remember being a a wide-eyed participant of my first Founders event, not to mention the first SBC convention. The simple naivete of all things surrounding the convention and Baptist life were still very apparent on my face. However, that would not last long. As I experienced the full breadth of what was brewing in the 2019 convention. As the days of the convention progressed, we would all learn of what would later become Resolution 9. If you think about that time frame, it has been an absolute whirlwind since 2019. I have to say, when it comes to to the battles that are raging in Baptist life, I can't remember a time when two years between 2019 and where we are today in 2021, when two years actually seemed like an entire decade has passed. Many remember the conservative resurgence of old. Many of you have walked through that time frame. Some of you just read about it. Many of us have studied the Chicago Statement and the stance on issues such as biblical inerrancy. However, there we were. In 2019, witnessing once again a brand new battlefront. This battlefront, however, had bypassed the issue of inerrancy and pushed right into the issue of biblical sufficiency. While those advocating for Resolution 9 and CRT will say that they believe the Bible to be sufficient, they, by their own admission, believe that, quote, analytical tools, end quote, are necessary to understand the nature of sin and racism. The truth is after the 2019 convention, upon departing, those who were headed home from that convention actually had no idea, no definition, and no understanding of what critical race theory was. Fewer still had any idea about intersectionality or or the impact of social justice. However, all of us would soon be acutely aware, acutely aware of the impact of these ideologies in our culture as we watched the ideology, the fruit of these ideologies actually play out in the streets in the coming year. By late December, no more than early January of 2020, right after the convention, There was tremendous outrage at the time regarding a a little-known synodoc that you have in your seats there called By What Standard. By the time January 2020 had rolled around, we were but two months away from a complete economic shutdown and a global pandemic, a pandemic that, that no one could have ever predicted. We were one month away from names that we would remember and that would become all too familiar to us all. Names like Ahmaud Arbery in February of 2020, Breonna Taylor in March of 2020, George Floyd on May 25th of 2020. Learning their names and their stories, they would mark us as we witnessed nationwide protests in the street. All of this in the name of justice. Now, as as I recount that brief glimpse of history, these days and events seem to have happened three to five years ago rather than just last year. What was the evangelical response to all of this? Now, in order to understand the response to what was taking place, we have to go back to what was happening in evangelicalism during that time. 
One popular website actually captured the time well when it posted a step-by-step guide to how to grow your church membership. While I won't take the time to read you all of the 14 suggestions that they provided, let me give you a few of those. It began with the question, how do you grow your church numerically? Number one, well, you brand it, of course. Number two, you increase your digital presence. Number three, create an email blast. Number four, start a newsletter. Number five, sponsor something local. For example, a sports team. And in this example, what they desired to see uh, churches do would be to identify a local sports team and maybe purchase the jerseys for the sports team. And like we would a, a NASCAR event, take your church logo and put it on the side of the jersey so that you could advertise for your church in that way. At no time did any of these suggestions include the preaching of the gospel or evangelism. As churches increase their social media footprint, focused on using the right words to have the right things to say, they were much more focused on what it takes to draw a crowd than they were about preaching the gospel. Of all the things that mattered most, there was little desire to offend others with subjects like sin and repentance. Many had exchanged being salt and light for being civil and liked. Pragmatism is the approach that says if it works, it must be right. Sadly, far too many believed this truth and began using strategies that attracted bodies instead of believers. In light of this, no one should have been surprised on the Sunday after the death of George Floyd to witness pastors breathlessly racing to their pulpits to declare that black lives matter. On May 30th, five days later, before all the circumstances surrounding the George Floyd death were actually clear, especially with regard to the motivation, that which motivated Derek Chauvin in the act, SBC leadership had already concocted, I mean connected the dots. <laughs> For those in question, they put out a statement that read this way, quote, as a convention of churches committed to the equality and dignity of all people, Southern Baptists grieved the death of George Floyd, who was killed on May 25, 2020, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. While all must grieve, we understand that in the hearts of our fellow citizens of color, incidents like these connect to a long history of unequal justice in our country going back to the grievous Jim Crow and slavery eras, end quote. Well, the first part of the statement is correct, but it was Charles Spurgeon who said this, discernment is, knowing the, is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. The first part of the statement is correct. As people committed to the equality and dignity of all people, we should grieve the death of George Floyd. However, any grief on the subjective basis of one's skin color, especially for those who call themselves believers in Christ, should be examined rather closely. It's problematic to suggest that, quote, people of color, end quote, are an ideological monolith meaning that they all felt the, the same way about everything that they saw. Add to this the idea that, that people without a certain melanin count were absent of such knowledge. If this is accurate, 
We have here the makings of what Dr. Vodi Bakum calls ethnic Gnosticism, coined the term more than a decade ago. Not to beat a dead horse, but, but I have no idea who was polled to determine what happened in the hearts of our fellow citizens of color. I mean, nobody actually picked up the phone and called me to ask me what I thought. I'm uncertain how this incident is connected to Jim Crow or slavery. I have no idea why whites would be less concerned than blacks or why blacks would be more concerned than whites. We should all be equally horrified by the death of an image bearer of God, regardless of the circumstances surrounding their death or the color of that person's skin. After this statement, there were numerous Facebook posts, blog articles, and podcasts, even sermons that spent time explaining the plight of the black man and the need for whites to repent of their whiteness. Evangelicalism, following, the cues, following cultural cues, adopted the narrative of black victimhood and oppression and began calling for racial reconciliation. Unbeknownst to me, I, I thought, based upon scripture, we were already reconciled, reconciled both to God the Father and to one another through Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2. But rather than seeking revelation through the whole counsel of God's word, many churches sought cultural relevance and adopted the culture's language on these issues. Far too many pastors were racing to be the first to step in their pulpits just to say the phrase that black lives matter. They did so, unfortunately for them, disconnected from a study of this hashtag movement's origin. Bible study groups were no longer assigned the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In exchange for those faithful authors, they were given names of others. Groups were told to study D'Angelo and Tisby and Kendi and Morrison's writings. Church leaders often advised followers to seek discussions on race, abandon whiteness, check their privilege, understand the cultural issues through a uniquely ethnic lens. It was during this time over the past 18 to 20 months that I've received thousands of emails and inbox messages. And when I say thousands, I'm not talking about Baptist numbers. I'm talking about thousands. <laughs> I've received thousands of emails and inbox messages from concerned elders and church leaders and, and, and believers who were at a loss for what to do. They, they were ab absolutely lost as to what to do. I, I had conversations of, of, of different thought leaders, of different elders and pastors of churches from around the country. And I, I know that's not foreign to, to, the, to the folks here at Founders uh, to engage in those kinds of conversations. They're lost at what to do about the, the woke writing that they're being asked to digest as if it's equivalent to Scripture. But you know all of this. You were there. You experienced all of this in the same way that I have. One of my favorite movies uh, is, is The Matrix. While I can't think of anyone who hasn't seen or isn't aware of The Matrix, for the, the handful of you that may not, is the 1999 science fiction film 
where the machine world creates a false reality in which humans unknowingly are, are, are unknowingly trapped. A man by the name of Morpheus was in search of Neo, whose government name is Thomas Anderson. He, he, he desired to help Neo to break free of the matrix to fulfill his role as the one. Morpheus must first convince Neo that there is indeed a problem. And upon finding Neo before setting him free from this fake world, Morpheus offers Neo a choice. Neo can take the blue pill and go back to being deceived, or he can take the red pill. However, upon taking the red pill, Neo is made aware that the blinders of his eyes will come off. Morpheus tells Neo, at this point, I'm going to show you how far the rabbit hole goes. What does Neo do? He takes the red pill. Well, congratulations, you all have been red pilled. <laughs> However, with each headline regarding the challenges that face us, we only get glimpses of how far the rabbit hole goes. Solomon, considered one of the wisest of all men, once wrote, what has been is, and what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1, 9. So in Solomon's writing, he made clear that none of the issues that we face are new, even though they may be new to us. While the root cause of all of this points us back to the fall in Genesis 3, the current trajectory of CRT is but a symptom of a much larger issue. You can roll into that, the issues around egalitarianism and complementarianism and all kinds of issues that we currently face. These are but symptoms of a much greater problem. Over the past 20 months or so, I've had the opportunity to travel to conferences and to write several articles to speak to churches and on podcasts. And one of the questions that always seems to come back to me is this. Given the darkness of our current cultural context, what am I to do now? Sometimes the question is couched in something like, my church has just gone woke. What am I to do now? Given the nature of what seems to many to be a new idea in CRT, those asking the question, they're, they're expecting a, a brand new plan. They, they want someone to explain to them, how do, I, how do I navigate this new cultural milieu that I find myself in? What is it I now need to do differently than I've done in the past to address this issue? I'm certain they're disappointed when every time I go back to Scripture and tell the audience that Jesus is enough. And the gospel is sufficient. Even though I share that with them, I could see it in their eyes. They think, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But, but, but we just learned about, about Kant and the ideas around thesis and antithesis and synthesis. We just learned about, about Hegel and the Hegelian dialect. We know that all of what we encounter stems from co the cultural Marxism that was pushed forward by men like Max Horkheimer. The, the critical theory that, that got, that got uh, placed upon the culture. We've learned about the Frankfurt School. We've learned about the social gospel of the early 1900s with Walter Rauschenbusch, critical theory, liberation theology, and the black liberation theology of James Cone, which was the precursor for critical race theory. It's a mouthful. 
And unfortunately, the, the, the believer who's now being hit with these things all for the first time gets discombobulated, so to speak, as if God himself was not aware of all of these things making their way into culture. God is the same God. God is still on the throne. And we need to be focused on preaching the gospel. We need to recognize that when we believe that there's something more, something new, something different that must be done, we are at risk of doing what we have charged others of doing. So here's the question. Is the Bible sufficient? Is the gospel enough? Either we are resolved that the Bible is sufficient or we aren't. Either we are resolved that the gospel of Christ is the power of God or it isn't. It is time that we are resolved. Resolved by definition means to determine something to do or to determine to do something. But before we determine the something we are to do, we must encounter three things that I believe our text in 2 Timothy actually points us to. I, thought, I bet you thought I'd never get to the text. <laughs> the first is this. The first thing we must do is this. We need to be resolved. Uh, we need to be resolved, and by being resolved, rather, we first need to be reminded. We need a reminder. What is meant by reminder is that we need to be reminded that things that we encounter are going to be difficult. Often with a measure of success, we have the tendency to forget that we will endure hardship. So the first thing we must do in order to be resolved is we must be reminded. The second thing we must do is we must be, in order to be resolved, we must reflect on what is true. If we're going to be resolved, we have to reflect on what is true. We need to reflect on those things that have been the source of strength for each and every one of us from the beginning. The third thing we must do is we must respond. And our response after the previous two steps ensures that the ground of truth that we are on comes from the word of God. Far be it that we're resolved to do something when we have ignored the previous two steps, which are the anchor for us in truth. So let's look at a moment for, at the text. Allow me just a moment to set up the context before I read the text. We need to remember where, that Paul, at the time of this writing of his letter to Timothy, he's in his second imprisonment in Rome. The letter, written shortly before Paul's death, most believed to be around A.D. 64 to A.D. 65. Paul is anticipating his death. As, as his letter exhorts Timothy to come to him soon. We see that in chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. One, uh, uh, verse 4 reads this way, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering at the time of my departure has come. Paul is clear about his condition. And he recognizes that his end is coming. The words of a man near his death should be closely attended to. Let me read the text. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine. but will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off 
into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. We could camp out on the last section of that verse for quite some time, but you might be saying, but Virgil, I, I thought you said that, that we first need to be reminded before we respond. This sounds more like a response to me, the, the response of preaching the word. Now, in order to understand the response that Paul has actually given to Timothy, we have to go back to, to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. So turn the page back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 reads this, but understand this. Here's your reminder. Here's the reminder that Paul has given to Timothy before he charges him to respond in this particular way. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal and not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people." Here he's being reminded of the condition that he's in, the situation, the circumstance that surround where he is and what he is and the cultural context in which he's in. But I want to I press upon you a certain point. This warning is not new. This, this is not a, a brand new warning. This is not a, a brand new warning for a brand new day. This is an old warning. What Paul is reminding Timothy of is that this is a constant reminder of Paul's. Throughout the scripture, he's reminding him that things are going to be difficult. I want to add to this that this reminder was not unique to Paul. It would be Jesus who would remind his disciples that what, that what often followed gospel proclamation, what often followed the proclamation and declaration of truth, was that those who opposed that truth would quickly arise on the scene. Those who would attempt, there would be those who would attempt to confuse the gospel. We have this account in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 20, where Jesus said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. It sounds very familiar to our day at this time. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, here's the instruction. Do not be anxious for what you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. These are the same challenges that Jesus faced when, when confronting the Pharisees. The Pharisees who were constraining others with laws that they were unwilling to subject their own selves to. Confronting them in Matthew 23, 27, Jesus says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside you are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. The true gospel message will always face direct Opposition. Paul, if you remember, would instruct the elders uh, of, of the church of, of Ephesus in Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention, he would say, to yourselves and to the flock of God. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Time and time again, we see this warning where, where those who oppose the gospel, who oppose the truth, come to confront it. Paul was reminding Timothy of this truth so that he would not be caught off guard. Next comes reflection. In order to be resolved, we must first be reminded, but we must also reflect on that which is true. Paul encourages Timothy to do this in 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11, where he says, You, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Iconia and, and I, at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Paul is saying to Timothy, you've been fed the, the, the right food. You've been, been given the right example. You've, you, you've sat and, and witnessed and watched what it is I would do in the face of this kind of opposition. You've learned that from your youth. Stand, therefore. Look at verse 14 of chapter 3, which says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. The question is, do we firmly believe? I love what Jared did in the last session where he asked us about what we believe. Do we honestly believe the truths that we claim to hold dear? And if so, are we willing to stand on those truths even in the face of great opposition? That is what's at question. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from your childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice what he does there. He, he, he tells him, he says, these are the, the sacred writings which you've been acquainted with. That sounds very familiar to me because I understand the need for us to hold tightly to biblical sufficiency, to scriptural inerrancy. What is he, what is he instructing Timothy of? What is he encouraging Timothy of? The word is enough. He goes on to say that this, will, this is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. What is, it, what is he saying? He's saying the gospel that you learned is sufficient. If we had any question about that, we can read actually the crescendo of what Paul says in the end of the chapter. He says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. In order to be resolved, we must be reminded about what has happened. We must reflect on that which we know is true. And finally, we must respond with resolve. <clears throat> Go back and look at our anchor text, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Paul's charge to Timothy is to respond with resolve. Listen to the language of this resolution. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing kingdom. There is resolution in that statement. 
Why? Because we understand, we've reflected, we've, we, we've, we've looked back at, we've been reminded, we've reflected, and now we can truly be resolved. Resolved to respond. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing kingdom, preach the word. When should, when should I do this? Should, 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 should I do it in, in face of, of good times or bad? How, what, what should? Paul wasted no time. Be ready in season and out of season. Is there another time? There's no other time. This is, this is that, that, that time, the, the in season and out of season. Be ready to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. This is, this is the wielding of the sword. Reprove, rebu rebuke, exhort. How do we do that? We do that with complete patience and teaching. There's the truth in love. Patience, teaching. For the time is coming. Here's the why. Why are we going to do this? For the time is coming when, when people will not endure sound teaching, sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. Boy, do we have people wandering into myths in our day. As for you, as for you, Here's the further instruction. Always be sober-minded. Again, being reminded that things are going to be difficult. Reflecting on the truth that you know. Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Why? Because things are going to be difficult. This won't be an easy process. This won't be an easy, breezy process. You're going to have to confront a difficult task. Do the work of an evangelist. Preach the word. Preach the word. Fulfill your ministry. Our resolve is to be men and women who are faithful to the truth of the word of God. We aren't to start a new program or to deal to, in order to deal with opportunities that lie ahead. We're not to, be, we're not to, to think about the next, the next programmatic approach to these issues regarding CRT. We are to be faithful ministers of the word of God. Finally, in the time that I have remaining, allow me to apply this to our current cultural moment. As it pertains to that cultural moment, our circumstances don't require new programs or new policies. They require us to know our Bibles. They require us to be willing to wield the sword. This cultural moment requires pastors and church leaders to stop capitulating to the culture and be willing to take a stand for truth, regardless of the cost. We have to remember that our historic roots are the result of those who were willing to die for what they believed. That, that's our roots. That's, that's, that, that's, where, we, that's where we come from. The, 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 those who have gone before us, the, the, our, our church fathers, those who have who, who pushed forward the message of the gospel. Our very roots, the very historic nature of, of the shoulders upon which we stand come from men and women who were willing to, to, to give their very lives for the cause of the gospel. We've been so comfortable in our Christianity and modern culture. We have no real doctrine of suffering anymore. 
We need to pick up that doctrine of suffering. Even in our day, there are those who are being imprisoned for deciding to do something as simple as keep their church doors open. Well, Virgil, what about, what about the, the, the sinful nature of, of, of man? We've got to be concerned about, about sin, and we, we want to be careful how we couch that. And I know none of you in this room are actually saying that. Pastors should remember that all sins are sensitive, especially to the sinners who desire to remain in sin. We need to allow God's word to do the work. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and we also thank God constantly for this, Paul writes, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The word works. Allow God's word to confront the matters of the heart. Take yourself out of the problem. My encouragement to you is the same that Paul would charge Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. By his appearing, preach the word and take a stand. Be resolved.